This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me as always. Week 9 of the college football season is already in the books. Week 8 of the NFL season is in the book in a year like none other. The Pac-12 is set to kick off this week. So it is a very interesting football season. There is so much to break down and digest. And I'm going to take you through all of the important aspects this evening in terms of the 2021 NFL Draft and future NFL Drafts after that with the draft report uh, for this week. It's amazing that we're already this far into college football season. It really opened up the door for new takes, for things to change in terms of how we viewed players. And there's a lot to break down. I hope you had a chance to listen to last last week's episode uh, with Jeff Abercrombie. Great episode. It was a long one, but it was great to you know have a guest on with as much passion uh, as he does in terms of the scouting and hearing his perspective as well. Uh, look forward to getting him on the airwaves again soon. So this past weekend, let's get right into it. Let's kick it off with the 2021 NFL Draft Report. And I do want to kind of go into a little bit of a deep dive right here because after talking to Jeff last week on the podcast and a lot off air as as well, you know, I, I told him that the top two guys that I wanted to really dig into to get a full evaluation and those evaluations will soon be added to the 2021 uh, scouting notebook, which is part of our premium notebook package here Saturday to Sunday was Zach Wilson out of BYU and Mac Jones out of Alabama. Now they both played this past week. Zach Wilson, you know, 224 yards, three touchdowns. Mac Jones, uh, 291 yards, four touchdowns. You know, both impressive as they continue stellar campaigns here, uh, you know, with the trajectory of potentially being first or second round picks in the 2021 NFL draft. So let's start with Mac Jones first because, you know, obviously a little bit more well-known because of Alabama. You know, they're on, you know, CBS or ESPN every single week. But when I watch Mac Jones play, and this isn't really a knock on him because it'll come across that way because of how he has transitioned to the NFL. But when I watch Mac Jones play, I think a lot of Mason Rudolph when Mason Rudolph was at Oklahoma State. He was an intriguing prospect, Mason Rudolph, and he's the kind of guy that, you know, a lot of people thought, you know, more day two pick, maybe a team would fall in love and, and there was some buzz late in that draft process that he could be a late first round pick, which seemed like it was a little bit of a stretch. But at the same time, uh, Rudolph's best traits in college were his vertical passing, his ball placement, his accuracy, his arm talent. You know, pushed the ball vertically down the field. That's why the Steelers were intrigued by him. He was a he was a pocket traditional pocket passing quarterback. Well, when I watch Mac Jones play, I see a lot of similarities. I see a guy who has really really good vertical ball placement accuracy, the ability to push the ball vertically down the field are his best traits. It's his best calling card by far. His ability, you know, to set up, 
you know, sometimes in, in talking to Jeff, we said sometimes he needs to do a better job stepping into his throws and he relies too much on throwing off his back foot. But in terms of the accuracy and the ball placement and the willingness to push it down the field, he throws as pretty of a, of a vertical pass as any player in college football. And that's including guys like Trevor Lawrence, you know, and Justin Fields and Trey Lance and any other quarterback you want to think of in terms of the vertical ball. So that's what Mac Jones has going for him. I mean, really top notch in terms of his vertical ball placement and accuracy. I think his arm talent is good. I don't think it's, you know, great or elite or anything like that, but it's good. It, you know, it's it's above average to good for sure. And you see that on that vertical ball placements. You see that if he throws an out route. I get into some troubles with him. A, he's still a little inexperienced. We still need to see a bigger body of work and a larger sample size. But the NFL, man, it's really moving away from pocket passing quarterbacks. You know, listening to, you know, the most recent Move the Sticks podcast over, I think it was last week, and they were saying the traditional pocket passing quarterback has kind of gone by the wayside. The, the two most recent ones were Dwayne Haskins and Josh Rosen, and look where they, I mean, Dwayne Haskins in his second year has been pretty much, has no trade value if you, if you believe what's out there. He... Washington, you know, doesn't even want him in the facility, it sounds like, whether it's an attitude thing, but maybe they just don't feel like he can play either. Josh Rosen, you know, obviously we know the issue with him. He hasn't been able to find his way onto the football field and get an opportunity. So you have these scenarios where, yeah, Mac Jones is really good at that, at that one trait and he's a solid prospect. But I have a hard time with any round one talk right now because he doesn't solve problems in a variety of ways. He's not a guy who's going to play off structure. There's not a lot on film right now of him having to deal with consistent pressure, him throwing on the move, him playing off structure, you know, throwing, you know, how does he handle pressure? There's so few of that on film. He's right now a traditional pocket passer that has a good vertical ball, good ball placement and good accuracy. There's a role for that in the NFL for sure. I'm just not sure if he fits the profile of what teams are looking for now in terms of franchise quarterbacks. So that's kind of where I am with, with Mac Jones. Obviously, there's a lot more. There'll be a lot of big games this year to get a better feel for Mac Jones in terms of you know how he may produce at the next level. But if we take this to Zach Wilson, he's the guy who I am really intrigued uh, what I saw from Zach Wilson. And obviously he continued it. This is, this is what I'll kind of go through similar to what my profile will look like on, in the scouting notebook. If you're someone who uh, has the premium notebooks. And once I add him things that I really like, things that I consider strengths of his, I think he's got, I think he's got really good touch and anticipation throws. So I think you see Wilson really do a good job of throwing with touch, lofting it, putting a good trajectory on it when he needs to. Uh, at other times, t- you know, putting a little bit more on it as well. I think he does a good job at making some anticipation throws and kind of, you know, knows exactly where to put it when a wide receiver is going to come out of his break. I think he shows good accuracy at all three levels. I think predominantly you see it in the short to intermediate because he doesn't take many shots. You know, he does take some shots and I think he can throw the vertical ball. But right now I feel like their offense is kind of built for him to live in the short to intermediate range. His ability to play off structure and throw on the run when needed, I think is a strength of his game. And I think that's what NFL teams are looking for. He also adds to that the ability to throw with multiple 
throw at multiple arm angles and from different platforms. Another trait that I think when you're handling pressure in the NFL, you got to be able to throw from different platforms. If you can get out different arm at different arm angles, I think that helps you maybe not get the pass batted or get it, you know, to a receiver when there's a defender in a certain area. So the ability to throw from multiple arm angles and from different platforms and throw on the run and on the move, I think speaks to volumes in terms of, you know, his ability to play off structure, which I think is such an important trait for the next level. I think his decision-making and protecting the football are really strong. I think his footwork is clean and his mechanics are good. So those are all things that I would classify, you know, as strengths to his game. In terms of areas that are functional, average to above average, I think his athleticism, his rushing ability and his mobility, I would say, is average to above average. I think he could be a factor in the ground game. I don't think he could be, you know, listen, if we're if we're breaking this off in levels, he's not Kyler Murray. He's not Lamar Jackson. You know, could he be somebody you know, who has an impact. Some people might even say it's, it's a, you know, he's above average to good in that. And I wouldn't really argue with that. You know, you know, I put it here because we haven't seen, you know, we've seen him have some effectiveness near the goal line, but I think at the the next level, he's not going to be a guy that's making a lot of plays with his legs. I think, I think it'll be more to keep the play alive and move around in the pocket than straight running ability. So I would say, that athleticism is something somewhere in the above average area. Maybe if, if I see a little bit more on film, I move it into the, the strengths column, but I do definitely think it's a, it's a positive and not a negative. He has the ability, the athleticism to move around the pocket and do some things with his legs for sure. Other things that I consider, you know, functional average to above average his arm talent. I don't think his arm talent is good or very good or great. I would say his arm talent in terms of his velocity and strength is probably about average to above average. I think his overall arm, you know, talent, if you start taking into account accuracy, the ability to throw from different arm angles, different platforms, taking up throwing with good touch, trajectory, you know, more of a line when you need it to be, then I think you can make the case that his overall package in terms of his arm talent is a strength. But if you're just talking about velocity and arm strength right now, I would think those two are more in the average to above average range, uh, you know, than above average good or very good. Progression reading, I think is limited right now. I think the scheme is very much built on first reads to get the ball out quickly, get into the playmaker's hands and let them do work after the catch. So I do think right now it's he's he's solid. He knows what to do with the football, but I do think his progression is something that I want to see a little bit more advanced, uh, you know, to put it up as a strength of his. Some areas that I would put into the concerning and developmental areas, and like I talked with Jeff last week, just because a guy we haven't seen it yet doesn't mean that they can't do it. It's I'm not calling it a weakness. I'm con- I'm saying it's a concern or a developmental area because we need to see more before we can make a true determination. For me, there's on film I didn't see. In the, I think I watched five games of his. I did not see a lot of tight window throws. So that's lacking right now on his film. Doesn't mean he can't do it, but right now on film and based on the scheme, I did not see a lot of tight window throws where he needs to really rifle it in that you can gauge whether or not he has the velocity to make some really tight throws at the next level when things are much more condensed and defenders are much better, faster, and quicker. 
Also, another thing that I want to see, I want to see more vertical shots. In the five games that I watched, there was not a lot of consistent vertical shots. There was a few here or there, but he mostly lived in the short to intermediate range. Now, whether he doesn't take some of those shots because he knows his limitations, I'm not sure. But I think in terms of an evaluator, you want to see if he can take more vertical shots consistently and then put it into some tighter windows in terms of really getting a true feel for what type of velocity and strength he has on his passes. And the one thing I will say is, and why, while I'm intrigued by the fact that he can throw from multiple arm, arm angles in different platforms, and I think that's a strength, I do think his release point, I think his mechanics are clean. I love the ability to throw off, you know, playoff structure, throw from that. But his natural release point when he's standing in the pocket, you know, I have to watch more in this, but to me, it looks a little bit low. And it looks a little bit almost like Philip Rivers, a little bit unorthodox in terms of his natural release point. But that's something that I kind of want to dig in a little bit further uh, to get to get a better feel for it and, and see if that's something that I see every single thing. I felt like I saw it in a bunch of games I watched, but you know, I think at the next level, it could lead to some additional passes batted down. Not a major issue if that's how, the way he's always been throwing. It, it's probably fine. He gets the ball where it needs to be. And the other thing is, I didn't see him a lot have to handle pressure. He gets the ball out very quickly. He's a good decision maker. Obviously, we know at the next level, you have to be able to handle pressure. So that's something that I kind of hope to see a little bit on film, you know, before this season's over is him handling pressure. To me, I have him as a, as a late round one, early round two grade. I can see the traits that intrigue teams to make him round two. I think he's that problem solver that can solve problems in a variety of ways. I think he can, like I said, throw on the move. You can do some read option. He can he can take off and pick up some yards when needed on the ground. It, he just solves problems in a v- more variety of ways than a guy like Mac Jones. So I think if you take the big school and you know, and BYU is not a small school, but if you take the you know the the programs out of it, I think Zach Wilson does more that translates to the current landscape of the NFL. If this is 10, 15 years ago and Mac Jones is and teams are looking for traditional pocket passing quarterbacks who can push the ball vertically down the field, well, then I think Mac Jones is your guy. But right now, I think I prefer Zach Wilson because he wins in, in, in a different uh, variety of ways and solves problems in a variety of ways that I think would be beneficial at the next level when things are not picturesque and perfect when you're playing. So, so that's kind of my deep dive. I don't go into too many deep dives. I usually, you know, do that in before the season starts when we do our full previews. But since these guys weren't in the scouting notebook, I didn't really go into a full profile on those guys. So I wanted to kind of hit it at the top of the show here because I did get a chance to watch them. They will be the first two guys added to the scouting notebook. Next up will be Reggie Roberson, uh, Kadarius Tony and Anthony Swartz, uh, out of Auburn. So those will be the next three guys added to the notebook in time. If we take this and, and go a little bit more big picture now, just from week nine, uh, Tanner Morgan, who I wanted to mention with Minnesota kicking off last week, uh, 10 of 15, 189 yards and one touchdown. He is in the draft, uh, the, the scouting notebook in terms of the premium notebook package here. He's a guy who, listen, some people liked him a little bit more, you know, before the season started. I think he's a, a day three type game manager type. Think Colt McCoy, think Case Keenum. I think that's what Tanner Morgan, he handles pressure pretty good, which I think is a trait that will endear him to NFL teams. Uh, but I don't think he's a guy that has the upper level physical traits uh, to be a top 50 or top 100 pick in the draft. A guy who I still think could push into that category is Brock Purdy out of Iowa State, 23 of 34, 239 yards and two touchdowns. 
there are some similarities to a guy like Purdy and a guy like Zach Wilson in terms of their ability to play off structure, throw on the move, make things happen, you know, as they navigate inside and outside of the pocket. Uh, it'll be interesting to kind of see how he closes out his year. He started a little shaky. Uh, he's definitely turned it on a little bit. Another guy who I think fits in that mold is Desmond Ritter out of Cincinnati. I've said since the summer that he reminds me a lot of Colin Kaepernick when Kaepernick was coming out of Nevada. This past week, 271 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception. I like his ability to make things happen when he gets in the open field as a runner. His ability to throw on the move, I think, are traits that will be will, will make NFL teams intrigued with him. Uh, Kyle Trask, this past week, 21 of 36, 345 yards, four touchdowns. Also added 47 yards on the ground, showing he can you know do a little bit in the in the run game as Trask now himself in the conversation you know after the big three he's in that mix with Zach Wilson with Mac Jones you know Trask is in that mix I still think Jamie Newman and Brock Purdy and Ritter deserve to be in that list some people might have them a little bit lower Uh, I think it's a big second tier maybe third tier maybe Zach Wilson is kind of for me in his own second tier and then that next third tier I think is is pretty wide in terms of intriguing characteristics that these guys offer so Trask is someone that has pushed his way I think into a day two possible pick uh, for teams looking for a developmental quarterback with a little bit more upside than Dave Perry type guys. Uh, Sean Clifford out of Penn State this past week against uh, Ohio State. 18 of 30, three touchdowns, 200, uh, 18 of 30 for three touchdowns. He's a guy that's in the scouting notebook as well. He's got some intriguing traits too. He's got a little bit more athleticism and mobility. Uh, you know, than a guy like Tanner Morgan. So there's some aspects of Clifford's game I like. I think he's another Dave Perry type prospect. And then, obviously, Justin Fields beating Penn State, 28 of 34, 318 yards and four touchdowns. You know, there was a lot of a lot of stuff on Twitter the other day. I think I saw something from Lance Zerline, who obviously well-respected draft analysts and other people. You know, and I, I do agree with this. And, you know, I think some people had some reservations about Fields when they watched him from last year. I, I didn't see a lot to be concerned with when I wrote him up in the summer. But, you know, other people are saying they see some little nuanced stuff that he seems to have corrected. I think he's a very, I, I said it on Twitter multiple times. He's a more advanced quarterback than Lamar Jackson was at Louisville. He's a better natural thrower. He's a more advanced thrower. I think he navigates in terms of staying inside the pocket and, and showing off his arm better. I think he's a better natural thrower. Maybe he doesn't have the elite speed or athleticism of Lamar Jackson, but it's very good. I think he's on the trajectory to be right there. If Trevor Lawrence is locked in at one, I think Justin Fields should be two or three right there, you know, with Trey Lance as well. So really impressive performance by him this past weekend. If we take this to the running backs, uh, Travis Ethian, 20 carries, 84 yards and a touchdown, but more impressive was the seven catches for 140 yards and a touchdown. Uh, I uh, subtweeted a video of Ethian this past weekend catching a pass. And I talked about how he doesn't need to be Christian McCaffrey or Saquon Barkley or Austin Eckler, or we're going to pick a really good receiving back in the NFL. That's never probably going to be Travis Ethian. But as long as he can be functional, as long as he can do what on his big catch and run for a touchdown this past week, as long as he can be a functional pass catcher, he's going to be a weapon in the passing game because once you get him the ball in space, he's so such an electric playmaker, that acceleration, that burst, 
that long speed. So he's going to be a weapon. All he's got to do is be functional at catching the ball. He doesn't have to be this great route runner. As long as he can catch up offs, screens, and be a weapon that teams at least have to account for because they know if he gets the ball in open space, he can be a, make a major play. He will have an impact for sure. Zamir White this past week, Georgia struggled on offense a little bit, but Zamir White, heavy workload, 26 carries, 136 yards, and one touchdown. You know, I'll, I'll mention him with Master Teague again, 23 carries, 110 yards, and one touchdown. I talked with Jeff last week. Both of these guys, I think, are very similar. Tough, physical, interior runners, good athleticism for their size, but can they show more versatility to their game? And each week I'm going to talk about it because each week if they have good rushing production, I think that keeps them in the round three, round four mix, but can they push their way up into round two, any of them? And I think it's exclusively going to be based on whether or not they show more well-roundedness to their game and show that they could be a weapon in the passing game as well. Another guy who has to show more in the passing game is Javion Hawkins. I talked about him on Twitter this past week and 17 carries, 129 yards and one touchdown. He's an electric change of pace space player that can make people miss good agility, good lateral quickness, stop, start acceleration, cutting ability. He's got it all. The problem is his size and lack of receiving ability. It's not a lot in terms of players with hit at his stature and lack of receiving ability to be major factors at the NFL level. I think he could offer a lot to a backfield. I think he's probably a day three pick, round four, round five. But he's an explosive playmaker. If he can show more in terms of his receiving capabilities, I think you can see his stock rise because he's going to have to show that in that regard to really be regarded as much as highly uh, as I'm sure he wants by NFL circles. Najee Harris continues to do what he does. 21 carries, 119 yards, six catches, 34 yards. I think it's a one-two race between him and Ethan and two, in terms of who the first running back is. We talked at length last week on the show about Najee Harris might be the more complete back, but Ethan the more explosive one. So really it will depend on what NFL teams are looking for. We take this to the wide receiver, uh, Chris Olave, the out of Ohio State. He is so smooth with his route running. Seven catches, 120 yards, and some touchdowns this past week. I watch him, and I see visions of Keenan Allen. So really, really smooth out, uh, route runner. Inside, outside versatility. There's a lot to like about Olave's game. Uh, Rashad Bateman, five catches, 62 yards. You know, Minnesota, obviously, uh, getting into the swing of it now. Bateman is a guy who, listen, before the season started, I think there was a lot of people who would have said he was locked in as maybe wide receiver two. <clears throat> Excuse me. He was wide receiver two in this draft class. But listen, with the explosiveness of Jalen Waddell, with the productiveness of Devonta Smith, you know, with some other guys looking really impressive this year, I'm not sure Bateman is locked in. I think he's in the mix for sure, but I think, you know, Bateman is a, is a round one guy. He really impressive, you know, in terms of what he brings to the table as well. But I, I do think that it's not as much a lock as him being wide receiver two in this class. I think it's up for debate. Really depends on what you want. You know, that explosiveness of Jalen Waddle is going to be intriguing to teams. What Devonta Smith's putting out there in film is going to be impressive to teams. Uh, so I think Bateman is locked in in the top five, but I think the top five is pretty interchangeable uh, right now. I mentioned his name before, Anthony Swartz out of Auburn. 
Four catches, 123 yards, and one touchdown. He is a vertical speedster. He's got sub four three speed at six feet, 179 pounds. He's a guy who can really take the top off of defenses. Not getting talked about a lot, but a guy that even in this really deep draft class, you can see his name rise up and he may end up, you know, if he declares being going earlier than some people might even expect right now because of that vertical speed, that vertical separation, the ability to really challenge defenses vertically and what he could bring as a tactical value to an offense. So keep it, keep in the back of your mind, the name Anthony Swartz. He's a guy who I will be getting into the scouting notebook uh, soon. Brennan Eagle, three catches, 55 yards, and one touchdown. Listen, I think, you know, guys like Brennan Eagles, you know, guys, bigger guys, uh, maybe struggle with separation quickness. You know, while that is not something that teams are looking for as much anymore in the NFL level, there are still roles for them. Look at the success that Travis Fuldrum is having for the Eagles this year. And, you know, how Travis Fulgham plays, I think it's a, it means that a guy like there's still viability for a guy like Brendan Eagles because he could still be a very comparable player, if not better. He's got better pedigree than a guy like Travis Fulgham. But how Travis Fulgham is having success now would be very much how Brendan Eagles has to have success at the next level. Tylen Wallace, I've mentioned him before, a little bit of a forgotten man in this draft class coming off his injury last year. A lot of people thought he would declare last year. You know, I know I have him in like that 10 through 13 range and it might be a disservice to him. I just don't know how to get him higher, but man, this is a guy who's going to be, he's going to be a top 100 pick. He's going to be a late round two to late round three draft pick. And he is going to be a guy that can immediately step in and I think be a factor at the next level. I love his ability even at his size to win at the catch point you know that my ball mentality a little bit we saw Jalen Rager have that a little bit last year I think Tylen Wallace has that as well uh, I already mentioned Devonta Smith but 11 catches 203 yards and four touchdowns explosive this past weekend as usual Des Fitzpatrick a, a, a little bit of a date free type favorite of Matt and I's here Saturday Sunday five catches 158 yards and one touchdown I think there's a role for Des Fitzpatrick. We saw how good he was with Lamar Jackson. I think he's going to be a very intriguing day for reselection, probably late, probably round five to round seven. Uh, but I'm intrigued by Des Fitzpatrick. I, I like his physicality, his play strength, his toughness. I think he's got good hands. Des Fitzpatrick is a guy who intrigues me. Uh, Kadarius Tony continues to have his, you know, really strong year. Four catches, 60 yards, but two more touchdowns. Uh, as I mentioned before, Tony. Uh, Anthony Swartz and Reggie Roberson are going to be the first three wide receivers added to the scouting notebook once I get the two quarterbacks, Zach Wilson and Mac Jones, in there as well. If there's anybody that you really, if you have the notebooks and there's someone that you're really intrigued uh, for me to get in there, please you know, drop me a message on Twitter. Let me know uh, a guy that you would love to see have in there and if I can get him in there. You know, during this college football season, I will try to do that. If we take this to the Debbie slant for this week, a couple guys I want to make note of. Bo Nix, who I've talked about in here a couple times, I think had his best game of the year by far. 18 of 24, 300 yards, three touchdowns, 11 carries for 81 yards as well on the ground. It's this type of performance is that why, you know, people don't quit on Bo Nix and you know, it's the arm talent. It's the athleticism. It, you know, if he can develop the more natural, you know, passing stuff, the, you know, pocket presence, the decision-making going through progressions. Those are the things that if he could 
can refine and develop them, his arm talent athleticism can make him a very high level prospect as he was coming out of high school. Another underclassman quarterback that should be generating a lot of buzz is Spencer Rattler at Oklahoma. Obviously in their Lincoln Riley offense, he is set up to succeed, but again, his ability to play off structure, his mobility, athleticism, rushing ability combined with his arm talent is what makes him so intriguing that he could potentially be a top level prospect in the future. This past week, 288 yards, two touchdowns, uh, 21 of 30 for Rattler at the running back position. Again, just about every other week, I'm talking about this guy as well. Brees Hall, 21 carries, 185 yards and two touchdowns. It's hard, as much as I love Jerry Neely, it's hard you know, not to somewhat agree with the consensus out there that Brees Hall might be the best underclassman running back in the country. The production that he has had you know, since he has started seeing the opportunity and touches has been fantastic. You know, there's a lot to like about his game. So Brees Hall is a guy who should be at the top of a lot of people's uh, Debbie running back list. Besides, after the Najee Harris, Travis Ethians, if someone wants to put Brees Hall right up there as the third guy, I, I, I don't fault them. You know, that's how talented he is. At the wide receiver uh, spot, David Bell continues to show why he is arguably the top, if not the top, one of the top few underclassmen wide receivers in the country. Nine catches, 122 yards, and one touchdown. His body control, ability to adjust, win at contested catches, contort his body, you know, really high-level stuff from David Bell, a guy who is going to be very much on the round one radar uh, when he is draft eligible. And again, we talked about him last week, another huge game this week, Garrett Wilson out of Ohio State, 11 catches, 111 yards, really smooth, love watching this kid play, the movement skills, his ability to get in and out of breaks, he can win vertically, he can win the short to intermediate game, lot to like about Garrett Wilson uh, in terms of that Buckeyes pass offense. Let's take this to the tail of the tape where we take a look at some intriguing prospects from the week 10 slate of games. Uh, One of the games that I'm probably most excited for is the number nine BYU versus number 21 Boise state. I think that this could be arguably the toughest game of the season for Zach Wilson. So this is going to be one that I really want to watch closely. Like I said, I just recently have watched five games on Zach Wilson. I will continue to add to that. Again, I, I talked about the release point, you know, pushing the ball vertically down the field, you know, his his overall arm velocity and strength. Those are things I'm looking for to show me a little bit more in, but there's so much, I, as I went into earlier in the show, that I like about his game. So anytime I get an opportunity to watch him, I, I want to, and I want to continue uh, to expose myself to more games of Zach Wilson to get a clear picture on what I believe this prospect is in terms of his ability to transition to the next level. Uh, Arizona State USC has me intrigued. Excited to see USC kick off their season. Kadon Slovis, the underclassman quarterback who's highly regarded, kind of see how he looks in his first game of the season. And then a couple guys who we've been talking about a lot here at Saturday Sunday over the years, running back Stephen Carr and wide receiver Tyler Vons. Once upon a time, Stephen Carr, big, big-time high school recruit, really flashed his freshman season, has not done much since. But I like the raw tools and upside that he offers, so I'll be watching him closely this week. And then Tyler Vons, a guy who, even at his thin uh, frame, 
really good in contested catches, his ability to adjust the ball thrown, catch away from the bot, his body, his body control. Really like Tyler Vaughn. Excited to kind of see him uh, kick off his season as well. I'll be watching Florida, Georgia. That's probably the game I'm most intrigued to watch this week. You know, we got Kyle Trask. We got Kadarius Tony. Let's see if Malik Davis gets some touches in the backfield. On the Georgia side, I'll be honed in on watching Zamir White again. We know what he can do as a runner. I'm impressed with his running ability, but can he show more to his game? And George Pinkins, one of the top underclassmen wide receivers, how does he look in this big game against the Gators? And then Clemson, Notre Dame, obviously Trevor Lawrence still under quarantine due to COVID. He will not start this game. So how does the freshman quarterback look in his second game? Obviously, Travis Heathian will be the focal point of that offense. Amari Rogers coming off a really productive game. How does he continue to look this season as a very much forgotten man because we're so used to them having such top-level prospects at the wide receiver that Amari Rogers went a little bit under the radar, but he's been producing this year. And then on the other side, Notre Dame, how does Ian Book look against his Clemson defense? You know, I think Ian Book is a late-day free-type prospect, game-manager type Um It'll be interesting to see if he can have any success against his Clemson defense. So that's what I'll be looking for in week 10 of the college football season. If we take this to the NFL rookie report for week eight, listen, rookies are are being thrown into the fire earlier and earlier in the NFL game. And there's always so much to talk about. You know, if we start the quarterback position, Big, big win from Joe Burrow, his biggest of his career. 31-20 win over the Tennessee Titans. He was 26 of 37, 249 yards and two touchdowns. He's he's put up better statistical games, but he, this was a clean game from Burrow. Impressive win against a, a really strong team. You know, Burrow continues to just make things happen in a variety of ways. He shows his rushing ability, shows his ability to navigate the pocket. And again, one of the things I like most about Burrow is he's always able to kind of keep his eyes downfield. I mean, they played without four starters this week and Burrow stepped up to the plate, elevated his teammates around him. That's what makes him such a big time prospect that hopefully develops into a top-notch franchise quarterback for the Bengals, his ability to elevate his teammates around him. Justin Herbert just continued to do what he's been doing. Uh, 278 yards, three touchdowns. He did have two interceptions, and somehow the Chargers, as they always do, choked the game away late. But Herbert continues to look better than he ever did at his time at Oregon. He, We knew he had the arm talent. We knew he had the athleticism. You know, but we didn't know if he had all the other aspects to be a really successful top-notch quarterback at the at the NFL level. You know, the going through progressions, the decision making, the pocket presence, the men, you know, all that stuff. But he's really shined in just about every facet of the game this year, you know, early on in his career here. So Herbert stock up on him. You know, I just I know I just flip-flopped, and maybe it's not right thing to do. But I just flip-flopped him and Tua on my Dynasty rookie rankings because he's shown so much already at the NFL level, and he's got more rushing ability than Tua at the next level. I mentioned a couple podcasts ago, there is this misconception that Tua is a runner. He is not the guy who's going to be what we call the cheat code in terms of fantasy football. He's just not. And I think there's there's a little bit of a narrative out there that people think he might – some people, I think – think he is 
And I'm not sure if they watched enough Alabama football. Uh, and maybe, you know, they watched one time and he was making some people miss or whatever, but that's not really his game. And I definitely don't think it's going to be his game after his hip injury. So for, for that reason, I have now put Burrow at one, Herbert at two, and two at three. As much as I like to and think he can be a great quarterback prospect, Herbert's already shown that he that he can be really effective at the NFL level, and he's got more rushing ability. Uh, he's got better playmakers around him. So right now, Herbert leapfrogs Tua. It's close. Uh, but if I was in a league right now and I had Tua, I'd probably accept the trade for Herbert. And if I could if I could pick one of them to go after in a dynasty league, I'd probably go after Herbert right now more than Tua uh, because of that rushing component that Herbert, I think, could add on the ground. Speaking of Tua, he, he got his career off this week, 12 of 22, 93 yards and one touchdown. Wasn't asked to do much. Didn't really do much in, even with the opportunity he did have. You know, really low A dot. Didn't really push the ball to the intermediate or vertical parts of the field at all. It was his first game. I don't want to really make too uh, much of any judgments off of his first game of his career. If we take this to the running back, uh, J.K. Dobbins finally unleashed a little bit by the Ravens. 15 carries, 130, uh, 113 yards. There is no reason that he should not be getting a heavy workload in that backfield. You know, what he brings to the table over Mark Ingram, the speed, the explosiveness, the burst, the acceleration, the contact balance to absorb contact, bounce off runners uh, and defenders. He needs to be seeing more reps. And again, I think now the writing is on the wall. I said it before the year started that he might have the highest upside. I couldn't pull the trigger. I still had Edward Tiller one. I still had Jonathan Taylor two in my dynasty rookie rankings. I had Dobbins three. But deep down, Dobbins was the guy who I thought could have the highest ceiling. And just maybe, I thought we were going to have to wait to year two to even start to see it. Just maybe we might start seeing that upside in year one. And I still stand by that. We have seen Clyde Edward Tiller this past week, six carries, 21 yards, three catches for 10 yards. They obviously brought in Le'Veon Bell. I'm not saying Le'Veon Bell is going to be there for too long. I'll, I'll speak more about Clyde Ortelier in a second. I think he's a screaming dynasty buy if his owner is in any way frustrated. But in two or three years, I said it right after the draft, I will not be surprised if J.K. Dobbins is the best running back from this class. Real life and for fantasy. And I still think that that might be the case. You can't always rank by based on three years down the line, especially at the running back position. So what we thought was going to amount to a wasted year for J.K. Dobbins, there was no way that you should that anybody really should have had him ahead of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Jonathan Taylor unless they were really taking the long-term view. And I think in dynasty leagues, that's always even a little scary when you're talking about the running back position. But you can make the case in terms of J.K. Dobbins' long-term upside being as high as either of those two guys. Speaking of Edward Tiller and Jonathan Taylor, who both struggled this week, uh, Jonathan Taylor had a great setup at only 11 carries for 22 yards, really struggling. He seems to have, right now, he seems to be having a difficult time processing his vision. He seems to be slow to get into the correct, you know, rushing lane, and he's just not being very decisive uh, with his movements once he gets the ball. Uh, Clyde Edward Tiller, right now, you know, He's shown some things this year. He's had a couple good games, but you would think in that offense with the amount of attention that Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey, Michael Harmon, and just, you know, Patrick Mahomes can make any receiver a weapon. You would think that it would be consistent rushing lanes open. And we've seen a couple games 
First game of the year, game against Buffalo in the rain. You've seen Clyde Edwards-Hilaire really be effective, but it is, it's been in, in, in bits and pieces and not consistent. And you do wonder, by them bringing in Le'Veon Bell, you do wonder that if long-term they are always going to view Clyde Edwards-Hilaire as the guy that they want another really solid back in that backfield, you know, I think Damian Williams was going to get a lot more run than people thought, you know, before he opted out this year. Do they always kind of view it as, yeah, Edward Tiller could be our guy, but we feel better about him being 60% in the workload and they always going to want to have somebody else there taking a lot of the reps as well, you know, to keep him fresh, to keep him, you know, maybe more effective with less touches. It's something to at least acknowledge, but if somebody's nervous, I'll go by Clyde Edwards-Hilaire basically for anything besides maybe a top three rookie pick. I think at this point now, I'd kind of want to at least be intrigued with Ethan and Najee Harris. But after that, there's not another running back in this class, even remotely in the same conversation as Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. So if you need a running back, I'd basically offer up just about almost any 2021 rookie pick still to get Clyde Edwards-Hilaire on my team because of his upside in that offense. I would do the same thing for J.K. Dobbins. Jonathan Taylor, I'd be a little bit more hesitant uh, only because the one thing about Jonathan Taylor, he had gaping rushing lanes in college, and then he was unstoppable. He's physical. He's tough. But is there variability to his game? He's not going to be a guy. I said it. He's on the spectrum of, you know, Derrick Henry at the top end, Leonard Fournette, that type of player. I don't think he's going to bust, but, you know, I know I meant, I, I saw some people, you know, throw out the name Trent Richardson. No, I don't think that's who Jonathan Taylor is going to be. I think his rushing ability is far superior, but I do think he's going to be a guy that's going to be very touchdown heavy. And he's going to have to be a guy that at least can show some functionality and consistency in the passing game. And he's had a couple games here or there, but if he's not a big part of the off the passing offense, he's going to be a guy that needs touchdowns. And if he doesn't get those touchdowns, well, then he's not going to be as impactful weekend and consistent in terms of fantasy football. So I made the switch and I moved JK Dobbins to at least number two in my dynasty rookie rankings, you know, updated for, where we are now after eight weeks into the season, I'd still would, I think because of attaching myself to Patrick Mahomes and that chief's offense would prefer Clyde Edwards to layer. But I think right now, if I had a pick, I think I would pick JK Dobbins over Jonathan Taylor. And then after that acres and Swift, I mean, again, use games like this past week from Deandre Swift when they only give him six carries for one yard and a few pass catches use games like this to go out and aggressively buy. Because he's another guy. Just about any first-round rookie pick, besides maybe a top three or four, I would trade for DeAndre Swift. I don't think Matt Patricia is going to be there next year. It'll be a new offense. It'll be a new scheme. I think DeAndre Swift will be one of the focal points of that. And then I think he could be a big-time running back prospect, and he's far, far superior to anybody not named Najee Harris or Travis Etienne. So, and he might be just as good, if not more talented, than those guys. You know, and and so aggressively still go after these rookie running backs and trades would be my recommendation. Cam Akers, I'd be a little bit more hesitant, not because I don't like the player, but because Darrell Henderson has shown a lot. And again, people were ready to write off Darrell Henderson and it was easy to understand why, but Darrell Henderson has looked good this year. He's a very young player. He's not going anywhere. So even if Akers, you know, develops, it we're probably staring at a, 50-50 or 60-40 timeshare for quite some time in that Rams backfield. If we take this to the wide receivers, uh, T. Higgins, go out and buy him any opportunity you can because when you watch him play, 
his ability to create late separation. He's not a guy who's got great separation quickness in and out of his breaks, but he creates late separation quickness, his ability to adjust and, and go up and get the football. To me, he's got some A.J. Green in him. If he's not A.J. Green level, maybe Kenny Galladay, Allen Robinson. I think that's the world T. Higgins is going to live in, and I want to get stock now on T. Higgins before him and Joe Burrow become a elite-level uh, quarterback wide receiver pairing chase claypool back in the end zone this week five catches 42 yards and one touchdown again i wait for a down week on him i go by i don't think juju smith's going to be on the team next year i think claypool and deontay johnson are going to be your two outside perimeter wide receivers for the steelers next year and moving forward want to bring up denzel mims's name you know uh this past week only had two catches of 42 yards but more it's about the fact that obviously he was hurt for a while intriguing skill set he's a guy that out of sight out of mind that jets offense don't if he has a couple bad weeks more in a row don't be resistant to go out and maybe get him i mean the jets are on the fast track for probably trevor lawrence trevor lawrence i think is going to make an impact pretty quickly in the nfl level and who's to say denzel mims can't be one of his top wide receivers there uh in that offense so i think denzel mims i'd probably aggressively try to buy him for a mid to late round two rookie pick i know he went around that and if he you know if he's not productive this year their owner might be willing to get out and say okay we're gonna i'd rather take the pick and take another shot with a mid second to late second round pick i'd be willing to give mims i'd be willing to buy mims at that cost a year under his belt and potentially uh an opportunity to be a, a part of an offense led by Trevor Lawrence if things continue as poorly as they are for the Jets. A couple Broncos wide receivers, KJ Hamler and, and Jerry Judy. Jerry Judy, four catches, 73 yards. Listen, I'm not, I know there's been guys who've had better rookie seasons so far. I'm not selling in any capacity Jerry Judy. I still think he's going to be a big time uh, wide receiver in the NFL. If anything, I would use his inconsistency this year and his his lack of top-end production to try to buy Jerry Judy. If I can get Jerry Judy for a late first or an early second-round rookie pick, it's an absolute no-brainer for me. I do that. K.J. Hamler, I like the skill set, but obviously the situation. I mean, Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton will be back next year off his injury. They have Noah fans. I'm just not sure... You know, if you buy stock on KJ Hamler, you're buying it where you just like the player and you're intrigued by the skill set. And I do, but I just don't know if he's worth buying right now with what he has to overcome on that team in terms of being a factor and being a weapon consistently for fantasy. So it's a tough one there because I really do like the player, but I'm not sure uh, he's got the setup early in his career to be a fantasy factor on a consistent basis. So there it is, guys, the NFL Rookie Report for Week 8. Hopefully you enjoyed this breakdown of the rookies from Week 8 of the NFL season, a look ahead to some prospects to focus in on on Week 10 of the college year, and a recap of Week 9 from terms of the draft-eligible prospects and the underclassmen in the Debbie Slant. If you're enjoying this content, please get over to the website ssfootball.com. Is the quickest way to get there. Click on the premium content tab. And for only $9.99, guys, you get access to three notebooks. Uh, the Scouting Notebook has player profiles and up to 90 guys. Really detailed stuff. I'm not going to go into it uh, each and every single week. But strengths, functional areas, developmental areas, how they win, NFL role, NFL projection, and a lot more. You get the, and that'll be updated in real time during the year after the season. 
uh, separated into tabs for guys that declare and don't declare. Uh, you get the rankings notebook, which has all our rankings. And then Devi draft eligible. It'll have our tiers or dynasty rookie rankings. And then in April, you get the draft projections notebook as well, which will have tabs for every single player, offense and defense. Some notes on the prospect, how they win, some strengths, concerns, all their measurements, their metrics, their testing numbers, all that stuff as well. So, again, guys, 999 is the best way to support the show. Thank you for everybody who's already purchased. Uh, we greatly would appreciate it for people who have purchased in the past if they're interested in buying it again to do so sooner rather than later. For other people who are fans of the podcast, we would love for you to consider purchasing it. It really is the lifehood and uh, needed in order for us to continue to do what we do here at Saturday to Sunday. And if that if you're unable to purchase at this time, obviously understandable. Please get over there wherever you listen to the podcast, rate, review, and subscribe. That helps us out tremendously as well. So on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, enjoy the football this weekend. And I look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.